Turn with me to John 4, 5 through 42. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Give me a drink. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband. You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped here on this mountain, but you say that the people... That the, that the place where people come must be, that the place where people worship must be in Jerusalem. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have done, ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. May God add a blessing to this reading of the text and cause it to be the inspired word for us today. This wonderful story about the woman at the well comes to us as quite a contrast to the character we met last week, Nicodemus. Nicodemus last week, he was a a prominent, educated Jewish leader, a man who sought Jesus out in the middle of the night, midnight, and and was met by Jesus with curtness and challenge. This Samaritan woman was a poor woman, from a different culture, whom Jesus sought out and met her with compassion in the middle of the day. Let us try and get to know this woman a little bit who is unnamed from that day till now. First, she is a Samaritan, which uh, actually tells us quite a bit given the first century context. 
what a Samaritan is and why they're uh, uh, anonymously between, why there is animosity between them and the Jews is a bit of a question mark uh, for a lot of scholars. It, de- it really depends on who you ask. If you were to ask the Samaritans at this time, they would say they were descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh, who were the sons of Joseph, who kind of took over his tribe when Joseph remained in Egypt. Uh, they were said to have been spared the exile when everyone was carted off to Babylonia, and they called themselves Israelites. So they were, they were a version of Judaism as far as they were concerned. If you were to ask the Jews at this time, they would say that they were colonists who were brought in from the Assyrian Empire during their, during their onslaught into uh, Israeli territory and who were brought there to colonize Palestine. And the facade of Jewish religion comes from the teachings of captive Israelites who, who shared that with those folks. Josephus, the great historian, records that when Alexander was conquering Palestine, the people he found in Samaria claimed to be Jews. The mountain they were talking about is Mount Gerizim, at the base of which was the Samaritan capital Shechem. Here the Samaritans worshipped Yahweh, and they even had their own temple at one time. And we can surmise that this woman who comes from this place was probably not well thought of in her village of Sychar. She, had, she came there for water at noon. And if you've ever been out in the desert, the worst time to go get water at the well is noon. And I can tell you right now that when, daily, early in the morning, just as the sun was coming up, it was just starting to get light, that's when all the women would gather around and be fetching the water for the day out of the well. And they would not come back to that well. And there would be a lot of conversation at that time as well. It was kind of a coffee clutch, if you will, uh, around the well. And then they would never go back to that well until the sun was just going down and in, 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 the, in the cool of the evening they might come and get water for overnight. This woman was there during the heat of the noonday, which suggests that she probably wasn't invited into the conversation that went on around the well, and most likely she might have been the object of conversation around the well. So she stayed away until around noon. She had some man trouble, as you can imagine here, and many did in this time. And she had this business about five husbands. Most folks kind of assumed that she had engaged in a lot of adultery and had been carrying on with different men at different times. But maybe they had all died. Maybe she did marry and, and bury five men. Maybe they all left her. As I've said before, the, it's easy to divorce a woman in the first century. You basically say, pack up your things and get out. Come to think of it, leave your things here and get out. And that was pretty much a divorce decree at that point. Maybe what Jesus just means here is that she had been with very many men. Maybe she was a prostitute who had come to that well. And uh, maybe she thought Jesus was a customer, perhaps. But Jesus tells her that 
he has living water to offer. She asks Jesus for this living water because she's tired of going back and forth fetching water. Of course, again, the metaphor is lost on everybody in John. They, they, everyone seemed bum-fuzzled every time Jesus says something like this. And uh, Jesus goes on to explain what's going on a little bit, but then asks to see her husband. And it seems like in this one statement, Jesus is digging deep into the recess of her life and is pulling out the most haunting aspect he could find. Sir, I have no husband. She wants to move on, but Jesus drives right into it. True that. You, in fact, have five husbands. And the man you're with now is not your husband. I know that. And at this point, you know, I feel like we, we, it almost feels to me like we shouldn't even be listening in to this very personal conversation between Jesus and this woman. It's very intimate. It's very personal. After all, here she is, all exposed and vulnerable. Her most shameful secrets out there for our consumption. Jesus is just tapped into what clearly must have been one of her deepest pains. You know, I was talking about this text earlier in the week with, with a friend of mine, and I was talking about it, and this friend wondered, what would Jesus say to me if I walked up to the well? And I, I thought that was a good question. It's a great question. And I, in turn, passed that question on to a group at uh, Soup for the Soul. And we grappled with that question in a little bit. And in both cases, I got the impression that we immediately begin to feel uneasy about what Jesus might disclose about our own lives. What little secret might Jesus dig up in us? There seems to be an automatic mechanism within us that hears this story and finds ourselves seeking our own shame and then feeling petrified at the realization that Jesus knows all about it. He's already understood it. And yet when I read this story, there's no indication that this woman felt any of that. I think... Here we see Jesus. It seems as if I mean, she, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't seem frightened or put back. In fact, she's she's kind of impressed and elated. Here is someone who seems to get me and understand what I've been through. And I think we can hear Jesus say, "Oh, I know you have been with five different men, and and none of them have been your husband." And I think we hear that and we think, oh, busted. You totally got caught and called out there. Lady, you're in trouble now. But I wonder if we, we ought to hear Jesus expressing more convic- compassion than conviction. I wonder if what was being said in this exchange is, you know, I know that you have been passed around. I know that you have been looking long and hard for something that would make you feel whole and alive. 
I know that you keep looking to these men who use you and throw you away for some kind of sense of worth. But I'm here now to tell you that you are looking for love in all the wrong places. Ask me, Jesus says. Ask me, and I will give you streams of living water gushing up to eternal life, and you will never thirst again. You will never thirst again. You will never look to someone who is going to abuse you and be thirsty for love again. You will never look to someone who's no good for you and thirst for love again. You will never hate yourself so much that you will give yourself to anybody again. Ask Me, and I will give you streams of living water gushing up to eternal life, and you will never thirst again. I think what made this such a life-changing event for this woman was that Jesus was the one person who finally, finally, finally understood her pain. He got her in a way that no one ever had. And maybe this frightened her. Maybe it made her feel exposed and vulnerable. Maybe it was a relief. Maybe she was elated finally. But whatever the case, it transformed her life. One of the greatest things we as the church can bring to this hurt and broken world is compassion and understanding. For most of us, I think we see ourselves in the shoes of this Samaritan woman here. Accepting Jesus' compassion. Trying to hide those things He's exposing. But being transformed by the experience. Yet I wonder if the end, we are really called to follow Jesus' example of compassion and understanding. What a gift. What a gift it is to be understood. And what a gift it is to give. To seek to understand someone. To seek to put oneself in the other person's shoes. To feel what they feel as best we can. and To know them deeply in a way we hardly know ourselves. Their pain, their struggles, their hopes, their dreams, their triumphs, their joys... To seek to glimpse at it in another person. What a gift. Something that is sorely missing in our world today. How does one engage in this spiritual practice of compassionate understanding? Well, the first thing I say is it's got to take time. It takes time to build up trust. It takes time to build up that, that sense of comfort. You know, this is the longest conversation between Jesus and someone else in the whole book of John. It took time for Jesus to tap into this deep understanding of this woman, and he was Jesus for crying out loud. 
And understanding means listening deeply. Now, if you're anything like me, this is, this is a real challenge. This is a growing edge. This is a discipline thing for me. Uh, I've gone through a lot of little exercises in my life where I've had to learn to turn off my own thoughts and my mouth, okay, my mouth, <laughs> and listen deeply. Jesus heard the weariness in her voice as she said, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst again and keep coming to this well. Jesus listened deeply and heard more than what was being said. And here again, understanding takes honesty and vulnerability. There was some truth thrown out in this exchange. And she could have denied it. She could have covered it up. She could have made excuses. She could have walked away. She could have thrown dirt in his face and called him a bunch of names. But instead, this woman was willing to be vulnerable and honest. When our guard is always up, no one can get in. And I dare say, even Jesus struggles to know us who are so guarded. But vulnerability based on trust. Vulnerability based on trust allows us to be understood and to understand others. And I guess the other thing I would say is understanding takes suspending judgment. There is no condemnation in this story today. There is no pointing a finger and waggling. I know sometimes we hear that. Oh, she got busted. Oh, Jesus, you only you got five husbands, the guy you're with right now. What a... That's not there. We're projecting onto that. What is here in this story is compassion and understanding and love and a deep desire on Jesus' part know this woman deeply that she might know herself in the best way she can. The bottom line is understanding one another takes trust, love, and a whole lot of work. What Jesus extends to this woman can be one of our greatest strengths as a church. To offer the gift of compassion and understanding is to emulate one of the most important things Jesus brought to us at a time when it is very much needed in this world. This world we live in is thirsting to be understood. This world we live in is aching to be rid of the weight of their shame and their guilt. Just like you and me. I don't want to carry the weight of this guilt and this shame anymore. I don't want to have to keep coming back to this well and fill it up at that bucket of shame again and walk back and forth. I want living water that gushes up to eternal life. And I guarantee you this, Every human being you come in contact wants that too.
We're the church. We're the bearers of living water. So we better learn how to listen deeply and understand with loving compassion the people we come in contact with. Or they may not experience living water and go on thirsting. Let us pray. Great and loving God, You offer us this water to drink. A libation of life that gushes up. Help us to embrace that within our own lives and our own spirit. May we hear the words of compassion and not the words of conviction that we might also drink of this water. And then, Lord, may we carry it out into this world longing for compassion and understanding. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.